Uh, I'm Andre Williams. You see my partner Imad on there as well. Uh, just want to give you a little background about myself. I've been in the uh, financial services industry for a number of uh, number of years in various roles, anything from your typical banker to the financial advisor to insurance to <laughs> you name it. I probably did it. Um, so today, what we're going to have is just a basically an open discussion, an open discussion about different financial topics and how we as uh, black and brown people can really elevate ourselves to that next level, coming even coming out of the pandemic itself. And just uh, show, uh, we want to we want to go ahead and share resources with you guys that allow you guys to get to that next level. All right. Just want to specify that this is not individualized advice because I don't know anybody in having a general conversation about uh, topics of uh, financial financial and uh, empowerment that'll definitely prove our standings uh, our standings individually you might anything to add yeah I, I think I think um, what everybody needs to know that this is the the foundation right we're starting from the ground up so you don't have to have prior knowledge right uh, there's no stupid questions right? the important thing is to ask your question here uh, so for those that don't know me, my name is Imad Rahim. I am, am a professor um, and also a, a department chair. I, my, my background is in entrepreneurship. I started a few businesses. I uh, also an equity partner at a few media companies. I'm also C, COO of a uh, of Intelligent HQ, which is based out in London. Um, so my so 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 my my background is kind of you know all over the place. Um, but when it comes to investment, I've been investing in the last five years. Um, but but more serious investment in the last four years, um, and, and a lot of it is 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 really the 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 focus on wealth building, right? Wealth management, wealth development. I think there, there's there's a big difference between having the rich mind state, right? That 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 idea of trying to be rich, and we know that rich sometimes is temporary, right? Versus yeah. um, versus thinking wealthy, right? Thinking long term. Right. So that's what we're going to talk about today is really thinking long term and looking at your goals, looking at your future goals, looking at your future self, right? Looking at what your retirement looks like, what what you what your lifestyle um, should look like in the next five or 10 years. Astarsky, you want to introduce yourself? So taking myself off the mute. And yes, um, my name is Starsky Robinson. My background is digital marketing. Uh, to kind of give you context to this group, I was sitting down with my aunt who was giving me a little bit of history lesson on my own family uh, from being enslaved to being sharecroppers and ditch servants. Uh, and I was asking like, you know, where's our generational wealth? What, what do we have um, that we could claim that's our own? And she said, that starts with you. And out of that conversation which was just as a mind open like, well, if it starts with me and I'm already be, I'm already in my 40s, then what does that mean for my child who is only four years old? Um, so that's brought me to say, let's start this conversation. Let's get a group together and let's start thinking about forward thinking and about developing generational wealth. And I just lead it out to, I reached out to uh, UMAD and Andre and a, and a crew of other people to figure out how can we best service our families and our communities by providing you know, uh, information that we need to start building generational wealth. All right, thank you, thank you, Stosky. So let's let's start off by talking about what wealth is, and and 
and what makes it different in regards to people of color, in regards to the black community, uh, immigrants, refugees. Uh, how come we don't really talk about finance? How come we don't talk about rich, this, being rich or, or thinking long-term in regards to wealth like like other families? And Andrea, I want you to, to expand on that since, since you mm -hmm. have the financial background, since you do wealth management and you work with clients, you both, you work with clients from different industries, from different backgrounds. Mm -hmm. Uh, so please elaborate. No, absolutely. See, uh, you know, uh, coming from my my particular background, you know, West Indian household, whenever you'd ask your mother, like, you know, what our money situation looked like, that was my new business. That was kind of taboo in my household. It's not something that we discuss. It's not something that we talk about. Is uh, we'll get it, we'll get it when we need it. Uh, going through this industry and learning the things I've learned from my counterparts and in the various roles I've been in, I take a look at wealth as the security blanket. The, the, the method by which you know you have certain certain levels of uh, security for not only yourself, but also your family. So when I look at wealth planning, I always start off with a pyramid approach. And I say a pyramid approach because we need something about the foundation. So my original my original background in uh, financial planning came from insurance. So I always, so, so I always go to life insurance first. Because life insurance to me is basically a tool to guarantee that there's going to be something left for somebody outside of yourself. It's a very unselfish financial tool that you can actually go ahead and utilize for the benefit of not only yourself, but also your family. And as you get into insurance and things of that nature, you'll find that there are living benefits to it as well and things of that nature. But that from the foundation, once again, think about it, thinking as a pyramid, using insurance as that foundation, you know that God forbid something happens to mom or dad on the way home, that son, daughter, your, your brother, your sister, all those other family members won't have a certain level of burden to deal with because I think we've all been through the experience of God forbid, you know, uncle or auntie passed and now we're all collecting funds just to bury it. So that's why I always go to insurance first at the foundation. From insurance, that's that's when we'll actually start talking about, you know, savings. And then of course when we talk about savings, I talk about having enough set aside. You know, when you hear people talk about having that three to six months of bills for just in case because even myself, um, I'm about to turn 40. Uh, I've, been this, I've been in this industry a number of years and I've already been downsized twice. My wife has been downsized twice. <laughs> so, you know, you're having that security blanket of emergency funds on the side, just to make sure, that's just to make sure that you make it on the day to day. Once you've actually gone ahead and achieved that, then we can talk about using that, you know, not extra money because there's no such thing as extra money, but other but other funds to start setting yourself up on the individual investments. Now, investments is a very broad term. Uh, you want when you're thinking investment, you're basically thinking return on your money, and there's a multitude of ways you can air quotes when I say this, uh, invest your money. You can be a very conservative mm -hmm. investor where you're looking at something simple like CDs. Or you can be that stock market guy where you're looking at individual stocks and there's a multitude of things in between that you can actually start setting uh, setting yourself up with. Now, all of that being said, it's all about the habits. And so for myself and even from the clients I work with, one of the things that I always take from, from my clients is paying yourself first. You get paid, you set aside a certain amount of your money. And if you're, you know, for some folks, whatever your religious background is, uh, I'm a Christian by trade. Uh, you know, 10% goes to my tithe and my offering. And then I then I negotiate a, per, a percentage for myself that I know is going to go to my savings and to my investments. And then, you know, then pay the bills, uh, pay the bills accordingly. So it's all about developing those individual habits to get us to those next levels. So I, 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 I know I probably said a lot. 
it's all good. It's all good. So, so you mentioned habits, right? And I, I think that the difficulty, yeah. uh, I think most people would probably relate in this room is, is we, we've already created this habit, right? Uh, and what we would, it would be considered a bad habit, right? Um, struggling with savings, right? Uh, struggling with credit card debt, right? We, we, we live, we often live check to check. I mean, when you look at the, the statistics um, of how many people consider themselves living check to check, having less than $1,000 in their savings, right? Um, working for a company that has a 401k and not contributing, like contributing just the bare minimum, right? So how do we break out of that? I wouldn't even say habit, it's a mind state, right? So how do we break out of that mind state where we are thinking about savings differently, when we think about investment differently? I would have to say that goes into the realm of account the individual accountability. Uh, and actually like uh, kind of taking it old school. Like for myself, I have a journal. And in that journal, I actually have a, a breakdown of everything that I've actually invested in, everything that I've actually done, every business I've tried to start, every business that has failed, things of that nature. But by writing it down on paper, it becomes real. And that goes back to the individual making out a budget for themselves and actually saying that, okay, this exact amount is gonna to go to my credit card bills. This exact amount is gonna to go to my savings and actually keeping yourself accountable week to week. I'm very, um, I'm very numbers oriented. So I actually have an Excel spreadsheet where I actually keep track of everything. Money's coming in, money's coming out and how I'm actually developing myself overall. And I can actually see, I can actually bring up my spreadsheet now and show me where I am today compared to where I was two, three years ago. <laughs> so that, that's, that's how far I go. And I update that weekly just to, just to keep track of uh, money flow and things like that. So getting into the habit of being structured in the way and disciplined in the way that you're actually putting your money away will help you leaps and bounds by forming those, those necessary habits. So you can actually go ahead and contribute to those 401ks pay off the credit card debt and actually have a good amount of money in savings for those just in case life situations. Yeah, so so basically what you're saying is you're creating a new routine, right? So that routine mm -hmm. creates this new path, this new way of thinking. It becomes, it doesn't become, um, some, eventually you don't even have to think about it, right? It's oh. just something you do, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so, you know. Uh, absolutely. So in, in the, in the, in the, um, on the topic of, of, of savings, right? Um, one of the difficulties of mm -hmm. savings is the debt ratio. Often people um, have more debt, right? Than, than, than what they really make, right? So, so, so the difficulty is trying to figure out how much can I save if I'm paying out so much in, in my rent or mortgage, um, credit card debt, student loans. So how do you do this math where you know you're, you're saving enough, um, but still have enough left over to pay all of the the debt that you accumulate but also have enough money for your day-to-day -day type of activities for your kids uh, for school and so forth now there's a number of there's a number of different ratios that are out there that people can actually use they can go like you know uh 50 uh what was it 50 35 15 kind of like that like you know 50 percent for bills uh 50 savings and then you know everything else is for wants whatever have you there's different ratios but they're very subjective to the individual but it's all about your particular lifestyle but the the but the one uh one point that i'm trying to force home is paying yourself first okay before you pay a bill you go ahead and you say to yourself i'm taking that 25 dollars. i'm taking that 50 dollars from this paycheck whether I get paid weekly, bi-weekly, whatever the case may be. And I'm putting this aside for this and I'll negotiate everything else with what I have left. Yeah. The, the biggest key is, is that mindset change of paying yourself first. 
And this is not including also 401ks and stuff, but that's all stuff that's done on a pre-tax basis. I'm talking about when you get that net net check in your hand, before you do anything else, you're paying yourself first. Yeah, so, so, so basically you're taking your salary and then making sure that you also set aside your personal salary right before you start. I'm paying myself. Yeah. Before, okay. before I do anything else. Yeah. No, I, I think that's that that's definitely key. Um, I, I do want to share with people. So so a story with me is um, back in, uh, I would say, almost eight, nine years ago, I lived in Chicago. Right. Um, lived a, a, you know, a pretty fruitful life, you know, in regards to had a nice condo off of Lake Michigan. Um, I was a dean for a university and I did very well. Right. But I did very well um, in an environment where you had to make double, right? Where you had to live a certain lifestyle. And and I and I and even though I was making a, a good chunk of money, I was actually spending more, right? And 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 eventually, I think the lifestyle that that we come accustomed to, we end up um, telling ourselves we need more things, right? We need to look the part. We need to purchase certain things, and eventually, you you start you start creating more debt for yourself, right? Um, so so then you need to make more money just to you know just to uh, j- just to cover those debts, and eventually you're living check to check. So there are a lot of people that live rich, right? They look rich, right? They they they, mm-hmm. they, they you know they 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 play the part very well, right? But they're still living check to check, and that's what we're we're trying to break people out of that mold. Right. So I, I moved back to Syracuse, New York from Chicago. I love Chicago. I miss Chicago. But Syracuse, New York, I could do very well here. Um, but my overhead is significantly less. Right. There's there's a difference between buying a half a million dollar house in Chicago with two bedrooms and you're going to be paying a ridiculous amount of taxes. And for a hundred thousand dollars, I can buy a few acres in Syracuse, right? And have three to four thousand uh, dollars a year in taxes, right? So you have to start looking at your mind state differently, right? When I was in Chicago, I, I had a four hundred one k. Now, now, I, I, Dre, I want you to elaborate on this, but I just want to give you an example. I didn't contribute to my four hundred one k until a year later, right? My company matched everything that I put in, but I didn't contribute. So I was losing almost $1,200 a month, right? So every time I didn't Mm -hmm. put something in, basically the company's like, oh, you didn't want $1,200. Well, thank you, right? So they didn't give it to me. So I could have made $60,000 or so putting just away some money, but I didn't do that because my mind state's like, I need every penny that I got, right? And then the tax deduction that you mentioned. So, so elaborate on what a 401k is and the benefits of a 401k. Absolutely, absolutely. So 401k is one of those few things that your company actually does for you that actually benefits the employee. You can actually go ahead and put away, uh, gotta see what the IRS limits are for uh, 2020. <laughs> uh, but roughly let's call it um, 18.5, uh, 18,500 18, on a pre-tax basis to max out for that 401k, right? That you can actually that, that now that's money that's fantastic because you're not getting taxed on those funds until years and years and now that uh, the idea being of course you turn age 59 and a half when there's no longer any kind of like liability if you actually go ahead and take that money out granted if you access those monies before that not only do you have a 10 percent early withdrawal penalty but at the same time you also have ordinary income tax that's attached to the funds that you've already earned for that year so just to give you an example let's say if you earn fifty thousand dollars a year 
you have 20,000 in that 401k. Now you're being taxed at a $70,000 level with all those uh, aforementioned uh, taxes and penalties that go along with it. So that's why we don't want to access our retirement funds before actual retirement time. So that's, that's I get off my soapbox on that one. But the 401k is a great tool. Let's say if you make $100,000 a year and you go right ahead and uh, you max out that 401k, now you're being taxed on a much lower level. You're not being taxed at $100,000. You're actually being taxed on the tax level below that. So that saves you some money there. And your company, to, to Amon's point, matches what you put in. Some companies are very generous. Well, they do, like in his case, dollar for dollar. My company does 6%. <laughs> uh, some companies do too. But all, but but the bottom line is the participation. If you don't participate, you won't be able to get, actually get those additional benefits, and that's money that you're really leaving on the table. Yeah, I man, I, I have a close friend right that worked for the school district thirty six years, like thirty six years worked for the school district. He had thirty six thousand dollars in his four hundred one k, right? So he's thinking about retirement. Imagine if he had just put. I mean, even the minimum, like if he just put the minimum for the last 36 years and the school district matched him, I mean, we did the math. He would have almost 300K, at least a little bit over 300K just in mutual funds. So think about that. If, if, if you work for a company that long and you just put the minimum, right, and the company matches that minimum and you could and, and then you, uh, you know, even at a low risk, right? So you're, 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 you know, you're basically investing in mutual funds and blue chips and things like that. You would see close to $300,000 when you're ready to retire, right? So that's why mm -hmm. it's important to understand what a 401k is and how it benefits you in the company. The other option is if you don't have a 401k, there's something called an IRA, mm -hmm. right? So, so Dre, can you yes. please explain what an IRA account is for those people that don't have a 401k option? Okay, so IRAs are, are perfect for those people that, uh, that, like you said, doesn't have no don't have the 401k option. IRA simply stands for Individual Retirement Account, as simple as it comes. Individual Retirement Account, and like the 401k, the IRA also has a cap as well. Uh, last I checked, it was somewhere around either six thousand or sixty five hundred per year is the cap. Uh, now, the, now the IRA is funded a couple of ways. You can actually go ahead and uh, roll over an old 401k into that IRA. And there's reasons behind that as well. Or you can just set aside, call it a hundred and, oh boy. Forgot what the actual math is on that. But actually just have that go in there on a, on a regular basis for your retirement. Now the IRA compared to the 401k gives you a lot more control in your investment options. Uh, with the 401k, you're restricted to whatever your company is offering. With the IRA, it's open to every investment vehicle out there. I mean, you've seen the commercials. You can fund your IRA with gold, silver, uh, some cases real estate. You can actually fund it with CDs, bonds, mutual funds, individual uh, and individual stocks. But that's an option that's also available for the individual as well uh, if they don't have a 401k option. So there. So bottom line is, there's no reason why you, why you shouldn't be putting towards uh, your retirement in some way, shape or form, whether you're doing it through a company or whether you're doing it through yourself, uh, for yourself. Yeah, and, and, and also that 59 and a half year does apply to that IRA as well. So if you do access that early, penalties and taxes abound. And, and if you can, you can benefit from both, right? You can have a 401k, but still open up an IRA. Mm -hmm. Right. So now you have really two streams of retirement for you. Right. So if you can, I'm not saying that 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 you should. But if you are able to do so, look into both uh, investing in your 401k and your IRA, because at the end of the day, 
it's going towards your retirement fund. Um, and it, like you said, it's not being taxed, right? So it, it exactly. better. Everything that's happening within both of these vehicles are growing on a tax deferred basis. So, I mean, uh, I mean, just imagine like years and years from now that, you know, I mean, just to give you an example, if you earn more than $10 in a bank account, in a regular everyday savings account, you earn more than $10, you're actually paying taxes, interest earned on that account, over $10. Just to give you a basic, as the, as the most basic, that basic example I can think of. But then if you actually go ahead and actually have that tax deferred vehicle growing, that money can compound and compound and compound and compound for years at a time without you guys paying taxes on it up until retirement comes and you access those funds. All right, all right. Thank you, thank you. So let's 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 dig into the you know the, the meat of this conversation, the investment aspect of it, right? Let's talk about the yeah. difference. Let's just look at the foundations. Um, what exactly is a stock, right? So so when I invest okay. in a stock, what does that mean to invest in a stock? In investing in a stock, you're, you're investing in a partial as, as a partial share ownership in a company. Uh, I mean, uh, I mean. Different companies out there have a multitude of different stocks, a uh, multitude of um, number of shares available for individuals to actually purchase. So if you buy a share of stock, you're buying a share of uh, HP, you're buying a share of Apple, you're buying a share of, uh, you're buying a share of ownership into the success of that individual company. As that company does better, the stock will do better. And of course, you'll see that in the appreciation and value of what you actually own. Now, there are different, there are different like little, uh, with uh, with stocks that actually um, exist, such as my, my personal favorite kind of stocks are dividend stocks. I like stocks that pay me for owning them. And so some stocks actually pay you uh, a certain percentage every quarter or even every month, depending on the company that you're invested with, just for just for ownership. Like uh, some people have that, uh, some people actually live off the dividends. To, just to give you an example, I mean, Buffett, uh, Warren Buffett has something like 200 million shares of Coke. Every time Coke decides to pay a dividend, which is once a quarter, he gets millions and millions of dollars just in dividends. Whether the market goes up, market goes down, those dividends are paid to him. Yeah, I think I think there's dividends are key, right? So so they are, like you said, there are people that live off of dividends. Their, their strategy is to identify stocks that pay good dividends. Mm -hmm. that buy, they buy as much as they can, right? Um, and basically, mm -hmm. it's it's you know it's, it's it's the company is giving you a a profit. We're not talking about the profit you make off of stocks. So the stocks can go up and down, but you can still end up giving getting the same dividends, right? So for example, we talk about quarters. Let's say you bought a few thousand shares of Ford, right? So every quarter, Ford. Right. Will, will put out a certain amount of money and they will direct deposit right into your account just for having a few thousand shares, right? So every quarter you yep. could be making, you know, you could be making six or $700 extra just by having, you know, a few, a few hundreds or a few thousands of these stocks, right? So that's, so, and then, and then the key is, is diversifying, right? Creating a portfolio mm -hmm. of, of different stocks. And, and since we're talking about wealth, we're not talking about being a day trader. A day trader is someone that's constantly trading, right? They, they, they're looking at stocks that are very low and they're selling high. Those, you know, that's, that's not what we're talking about here, you know? That, that's a full-time job. We're talking about looking at long-term opportunities. We're, we're talking about creating multiple streams of income for yourself and your family. You know, where, where you can go to work and not think about what's happening to your stocks. Um, because I think Dre 
would 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 also elaborate and and support that that you do need some thick skin when you invest. You're going to see your stocks go up and down, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, I I think I shared with you in Facebook that my 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 portfolio was I think 47 or it was close to 57 just like on 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 Monday. It's down to 39, right? 39,000. I lost a good chunk of money, but it will eventually go back. So you have to kind of put it in the back of your mind. It will come back if you got if you pursue the right stocks. Those stocks that 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 do very well in tough times like this that has a, a history. So they have a history of bouncing back. Their debt ratio versus profit is 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 always in, uh, in in a better light, which means that they don't owe a lot. They make more money than anything else, right? Those are uh, the absolutely that we're talking about, Dre. Right? We're talking about those low risk companies. Yeah, that's. I mean, it's it's uh it's the it's the boring stocks that nobody talks about. It's your AT and T's. It's your Verizon. It's the Pond Edison if you live up in New York, or the Duke Energy if you live down south here by like where or where I stay at. It's those regular companies that are your everyday consumer staples that pay regular dividends on a regular basis. They go up with the market, they go down with the market. Uh, sometimes they might have a good individual run themselves, but at the end of the day, you know, it's not like uh, investing in something like like an Enron, <laughs> where all of a sudden, you know, the, the, you know, due to bad accounting, that company disappears. We're talking about solid companies with solid earnings, proven earnings, that you can actually go ahead and be, be comfortable knowing that I own this company and I'm comfortable watching, watching the market just do what the market does. Well, one thing that I, I invest a lot in, uh, both my 401k and my IOA, is mutual funds. Can you talk about what mutual funds are, for those that don't know? Yeah. Now, for that person just getting started, that's a little bit uh, a little bit afraid of the individual stock game. Mutual funds are just a basket of stocks. They are bad, and they they can be comprised of many, 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 many different for, for many different reasons. That could be what you call your high end mutual funds with all your uh, blue chip companies. There are companies, the uh, mutual funds for just growth. There are mutual funds for uh, small cap companies with high growth potential, things of that nature. So when you're talking about mutual funds, you really have to really uh, kind of like hone in on the type of investing that you are, because the the type of mutual fund that you invest in also comes with a certain level of risk as well. Uh, the small cap mutual funds will definitely bounce around a lot more than from the big blue chips will, things of that nature. And also one of the things that I would definitely uh, definitely talk to people about when investing in mutual funds are the fees associated with the mutual funds. A lot of times you go to these banks and these uh, institutions and they'll say, oh, this uh, this fund returns 11%, 12%, da, 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 da. Those are all gross numbers. You actually have to go ahead and find out how much those funds are actually charging because these funds are what they call actively managed. So these fund managers are actually going out their way to try to beat the market and you pay for that fee. So some funds I've seen are very expensive as in uh, almost 3% off the top. They're actually taking. So if they're quoting you, uh, this fund returns uh, 10% before fees, after fees, even if that fund makes the 10% that is promised, 3% is going to go to the uh, to, to, to the fund manager. So that's just one thing that you want to be conscious of. There's a there's a plethora of companies out there from your uh, Alpenheimers, American Funds. Oh my gosh, there's so so many I could name. But the biggest differentiator between all of them is really the fees that they charge. So they'll give you the diversification of getting away from one individual stock, but at the same time, you just have to get, you might end up paying a management fee. Now, with that also said, there's another animal out there that's very popular right now called the ETF. 
Uh, ETF is an exchange traded fund. And then once again, it's another basket of stocks. The only difference is the ETFs themselves are not actively managed. So there is a fee, but it's much lower than the actual individual mutual fund fee because they're just going with the flow of the actual market. Now, these ETFs themselves also are designed for very particular reasons, such as you'll have a S&P 500 ETF, you'll have a NASDAQ 100 ETF, all focused on just those on just those given areas of the market. But the biggest difference between the mutual funds and ETFs will just be the fee ratios. So, so I, I think that what, what you're saying is that there are there are mutual funds that are you know that provide more diversity, right? The specialization, right? There are mutual funds that invest heavily in technology, for example. There are yeah. mutual funds that invest in real estate, right? Um, you you have. Um, you have mutual funds that, that that invest in energy. So you have to, once again, do your research. Research is important. And, and the key thing of, when it comes to research, you don't always need to pay someone for that, right? Because you have the internet. But make sure that you are looking at facts, right? Don't, don't just listen to your neighbor talk about Tesla. And you're like, oh, I want to invest in Tesla. I should invest in Tesla. Tesla's like $3,000 a share right now. So $1,000 let- as of this morning. so that's like your entire savings right if not right or 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 your entire 401k just for one stock right but it doesn't mean that you can't invest in tesla right it doesn't mean that you can't invest in amazon people say i should have invested in amazon five ten years ago well that's the past right but if you want to invest in amazon you could invest in a mutual fund that has amazon in their portfolio right that has Mm -hmm. tesla in their portfolio so you could and you could still get those those stocks in in the 30 to 40 to even 50 a share in a mutual fund if it's like a vanguard right if it's like a fidelity a principal uh so you have to kind of do your research that the key thing is when you when you start investing right when you start investing is slow down and do research right don't be a compulsive investor because if you do that, you're gonna sell, you're gonna you're gonna sell, you're gonna buy, you're gonna sell, you're gonna buy, and you don't know what you're making. And also, everything you buy is taxable. Everything you make is taxable, right? So you have to slow down and assess how much you're making, how much you bought, and how much you, will you owe at the end of the year based on all mm-hmm. these, right? Also, the key to investing, we're not talking about using your emergency fund. Right? This is not how you invest. If you're talking about long-term wealth, we're not talking about taking the savings that you have that, that for a rainy day in case of emergency to put it on something because you think you're going to double in the next day or two. right? And then, then all of a sudden something happens, but that money basically went down and you end up losing money because you sold too quick or too early. right? So the key is, one, is make sure you pay down your debt. Right. The key is to spend more money to get rid of your debt, your credit card debt, your car note. Those things are basically just killing you. Right. It's very difficult to to become wealthy, to to think of long term health, financial health for your family. If you're constantly being bombarded with outside debt, right, from student loans, from from mortgages, from your car, note, those type of things. The first thing is to do the what we call the snowball effect right is to pay off those small credit cards once the small credit cards are paid off go after the bigger cards and the bigger cards the big cards until one day all those cards disappear right and then the car note get rid of that car right either get rid of that car or pay off that car 
right? But focus all of your money and energy off of that car, right? Pay that off. So those are the things that we can get rid of, you know, in the next year or two. The big things, obviously, the mortgage, we constantly are going to drive that down. The rent is something that we have to pay. The student loan, you know, I'm probably going to pay student loan for the rest of my life. I'm not going to lie. Um, but the key is, the key thing is to make sure your debt ratio is down. You have enough money in your savings, right? So you like, like, um, like Dre said, for the next six months, um, you know, think of think of what happened to all of us during COVID when we are unable to work, right? Those people that have that cushion, right, that have that money in their in their um in their savings account, they didn't have to think about that, right? They they were set, they were good. So once you have some money in your savings and it's enough money where it could it could save you you and your family for the next few years or I'm sorry next few months then you could start looking at how do I invest right no absolutely I would actually say a rule of thumb is this if you have a major purchase that you're gonna make within the next two years that's not money you should be using for investments if you have if you have a uh, a major a major goal like say that like to put down for a house in the next few years that's not the money that you should be using for investments you know things of that nature so and then going back to our original our original uh, thought process on it, it's all about the habit it's all about on a regular basis not just when you think the stock market is down on a regular basis every time you get paid you're paying yourself first you're putting something towards savings you're putting something towards that investment account you're doing this on a, a systematic basis on a regular scale sometimes you'll get your investments on a discount sometimes you'll get them as a premium but as long as you're making this the habit over time you'll win and, and also some companies um you get a discount purchasing their stocks so it's also a good thing to kind of do your research in regards to your benefits because if you could own shares of your company at a cheaper rate take advantage of that definitely take advantage of that all right so so we, we talked about the importance of savings changing that mind state right looking at the financial health um create the importance of creating a budget i i can't stress enough the importance of creating a budget and looking at your budget daily right and making a routine because then you start thinking of how much money is going out right you start looking at your credit cards differently you start looking at at your savings differently right but also by by creating a budget you could have this conversation and this is something that me and Stosky and Dre have been talking about is is when it comes to people of color when it comes to the black community when it comes to to those that are immigrants and refugees we don't talk about finance Right? We don't talk about finance with our spouse. We don't talk about finance with our kids. And that is creating that generational poverty that we're talking about here. That, that, that if we're not talking about generational uh, wealth and, and how we could contribute to that as a family, then our kids don't know uh, how they can contribute or, or, or what they are doing to actually um, uh, you know, cause, cause it to go left when, it, when we want it to go right, right? So that's the key thing is to having these conversations and and part of it is creating this this budget right and going over this budget with your family and with your kids right all right so so we do have some questions that we, we want um um that we want to answer uh so so before we do this i do want to share my screen really quickly just just to just to give all of you an example of, of how you could create resources of how you can identify information for future stocks or stocks you're interested in, right? And the things that people like me and Dre look for when we're investing in a stock. And these things are free. These are things that you do not have to purchase. So hold on, let me share my screen really quick. 
All right, so hopefully all of you see my screen. All right, so one of the things that you could do is you can go to Yahoo Finance and you create a easy free account and you put together a, a what we call a watch list, right? And the watch list identifies all the stocks that you are interested in. Those things that you heard about, those things that people recommend, those things that your best friend is investing in, your boss thinks you have read about, right? And you create this portfolio. Now, within each of these portfolios, you have what we call the, the symbol. This is a symbol of each company, right? So let me pull up Boeing, for example, right? So when you click on it, you could see Boeing's, um, you can see the debt ratio, you could see their profit margin, you could see an analysis. So even underneath all this information, there's all these articles about Boeing, right? Good and bad, right? And as an investor, I'm not telling you to, to invest in Boeing, but the important key is looking at their profit margins, right? Because every every company, they do what they call a, um, a what is it, a quarterly share? What do they call it? A profit, um, uh, uh, what is it, a forecast, right? So, so they... They, they, they share their, their forecast of what they think they're gonna make in the next you know year or so, right? Or the next few months. And that's based on sales, it's based on orders, it's based on partnerships. So you wanna see if the company is making money for us all, right? But the more important piece is their debt ratio, how much they owe, right? There are companies that make a lot of money, but then they owe so much, it becomes a negative at the end of the day. Um, and all this right. information is here. It's in historical data. Right, you click on that and you get this history. Right, you 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 also can can see the type of moves they're making. Right, what partnerships, acquisitions, these things will will impact whether the um whether the the profits of the company goes up or down, whether the shares are good. And there's things related to the analysts right here. These are experts. These are people like Dre, basically saying, I did a lot of research, I did a lot of uh, analysis. And I recommend these things. And this is what I'm seeing. This is what I'm hearing. This is what I, I prefer, right? So these are key. So there's tons of things like that out there. This is what I use. This is on my phone. You can actually, um, uh, uh, there's an app for it, kind of create your own portfolio. And you can connect it actually into your um, into your bank account. You can connect it into your portfolio. So so you can actually get an alert. So if, if the stock, so for example, right now, Boeing, is at 183. Uh, on Monday, it was 230. So, you know, I lost a good chunk of money, um, but I have it set at 160, right? So 160, I get an alert to say, hey, it's it's at 160, you should look at it. And the reason why I put 160 is that's the, the time I bought it at 160. So it's close to exactly where I bought it. So even though I'm losing money, I'm not technically losing money. It's not. It's, it's. I'm losing money that I um that 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 I had generated off of the property, right. right? Exactly. But not the money that I put in. If it goes under 160, now I'm actually eating into the money I put in, right? So you can create these alerts to 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 really uh, you know help you figure out what's my next move, right? All right. So let me stop sharing that. All right, so let's go into the, the questions. And then once we're done with these uh, questions, if we still have time, we can also answer your questions, all right? Uh, so the first one is um, is uh, definitely want to understand how to build wealth, why the stock market is down, no idea where to start, how much to invest 
if anything? What is your recommendation on how to begin and where to begin? What do you think? So that, so that to me, that when I saw that question, that actually brings back that uh, that that conversation we had earlier about that budget. Once you actually have that budget in place and you're paying yourself first, you're taking whatever it is, whether it's like you know, I don't know, fifty, a hundred bucks every paycheck to yourself. Once you're paying yourself first, then you can actually go ahead and start putting away. There's a there's another there's a couple other apps out there uh, such as Stockpile. Stockpile is a nice way to get started on things. Uh, then you can actually buy fractional shares. Uh, of a company so instead of buying you know $2,500 worth of one share of Amazon you can actually buy 50 bucks worth you know you are now starting you know, you're starting off in, you know with, uh, with marginal ownership but that's the way that's the way to get started um, another company uh, Starsky correct me if I'm mistaken uh, Weeble Webble is it Weeble or Webble it's called Weeble there you go <laughs> uh, that's another company you get started with them uh, they actually give you uh, what I think two, two free shares just for signing up. That is correct. A lot of these apps will um, give you shares for signing up. Um, just for signing up, they'll give you free shares. And if you yeah. invite friends to join, they will give you and, and your friend. friends free shares. So it's an easy way to begin investing and then additionally get free shares. No, absolutely. Uh, and and uh, there's so there's so many resources available. Just like Imad uh, was uh, was alluding to, he utilizes Yahoo Finance. I like Yahoo Finance as well. I also use uh, another website called Seeking Alpha. They also have articles about the companies that I'm looking at. I like uh, I like reading Barrons. Barrons or Barrons is very good. Uh, you know, if you're looking for, I mean, there's so much public free information out there that there's really no need to like you know sign up for some of these services that I that I see advertised on the computer because all this stuff is actually free and it's out there. And I'll, and also I'll leave I'll even add another one. Let's say if there's a particular financial professional that you're working with, I always recommend you don't have to, but I also recommend uh, utilizing FINRA broker check. So now so now that for that person that you're working with, you can actually see their entire history within the realm of financial services for as long as they've actually been um, licensed. You can actually see what companies they work for, if they've ever had any complaints, if they've ever had any uh, any kind of judgments against them, things of that nature, so that you can now feel more comfortable with the person that you're investing in if you want to really go out there and get, a, get that additional help. But going back to that first, going back to the question at hand, any amount is the right amount to start investing in, as long as you have that button in place and you're not and you're not over uh, overextending yourself. Yeah. The, the idea is that if you're trying to get your feet wet, because that's what you're asking is, is I want to get my feet wet, right? Um, you don't want to go gun hole in it. Uh, identify stocks that you use, right? If you go shopping at Target and you like Target, invest in Target, right? Don't don't Target. Yeah, exactly. Don't just jump into a stock because you your best friend talked about. Oh, this 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 marijuana company is is at you know three dollars a shares and it looks like it's going to go up. And you know that's something that you know if you're not interested in, it's not something that you're doing. Then 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 you have to take a step back, right? Um, but I, I use so so I use uh, Robinhood uh, to to kind of assess what we call penny stocks, penny stocks or anything under five dollars. Right. So so these are stocks that I've read about, that I heard about, that I did research, that I, you know, that that may be even a company that I utilize. Um, but but currently they are what we call penny stocks. And if if it starts doing better, so if it jumps past five dollars and the forecast is pretty positive, that's when I buy more shares in my portfolio. So now I go to 
to Chase, where I invest through, through my checking account, and that's where my larger portfolio, that's when I start investing in those companies. It's based on how they perform as a penny stock first, right? So that's that's my, you know, that's kind of my strategy. It's been working for me uh, for the last few years. But the key is, the key thing is, if you are just getting your feet wet, pursue companies that you are familiar with, that you are comfortable Absolutely. with, right? That you use on a day-to-day basis, right? All right, the second one says, how do I invest or how do the investors feel about unemployment numbers? Well, no, so now, so that's, so that's more in my, in my area. Um, at the end of the day, um, you know, you can see all the talking heads on TV. Uh, you know, the, the big consensus is we're obviously going to reopen back America. We're, 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 we're going to find different ways and new ways to conduct business. I mean, just to give an example, um, other than using Zoom, how would we have, how would we have gotten this many people on this platform? And prior to COVID, who was using Zoom? Very, very few people. But now that's now this is a very regular thing for all of us to utilize. So, in in, the, in regards to the recovery, it's going to be a bumpy one, and we're going to have to find new ways of doing business. And certain businesses aren't going to come back. I think it's estimated that twenty percent of the restaurants that actually have closed during this time are not going to reopen doors. So, a few of our favorite mom and pop shops are uh, they're just done for. But the recovery will happen. Uh, I want to say. recessions and moves like this happen throughout history all the time. It's just about, you know, weathering the storm and being able to just be prepared on the other side of it. Like my, my the biggest part of the conversations I have is with uh, Star and with Iman is how do I look after COVID? You know, how am I setting myself up now for when COVID either becomes a part of our daily routine or when, or when we all go back to work the regular way, how am I going to look after that, uh, after that's concluded? Also, when it comes to the stock market, what makes it very different than than um, you know than other investments, sometimes unemployment numbers actually benefits a company, right? So if so, for example, if a company mentions that they're laying off people, right? Sometimes their shares actually go up because the investor says, "Oh, you're laying off people. That means more money going to the company, right?" So it could actually have the the opposite effect. Right. Um, when we talk about investing during um, during a pandemic, right, during a recession, um, once again, we're not talking about getting rich, right? The get the get rich scheme is looking for the shares that are that just drop significantly, and I buy a lot, hoping I can flip it, right? So that's the hustle mentality, right? The key thing when it comes to long term investment is looking for companies that that are you know that are considered um, too big to fail, basically. Right, that they that they have hit multiple recessions. Right, they hit the real estate recession. Before that, they were they hit the Reagan recession. Right, and now they're in this pandemic. But they are necessities. They're too big to fail. But it's something that we require. Right. So regardless of what happens, people will still fly. Right. There may be less airlines, but people will still fly. Right. People will still go to grocery stores. Right. People will still purchase houses and things like that. So you're looking for those companies that are considered necessities that are too big to fail, that will probably get a bailout if they really struggle like that. Um, And we also look at the debt ratio. For example, I I purchase a lot of Delta. Right. I purchase a lot of Delta. So so when the airline uh, market crashed and Delta was like twelve dollars a share when they're normally fifty three dollars a share, I didn't just jump in. And, and, and just pick any airline industry. I picked uh, Delta because 
their debt ratio was basically nothing. Like they didn't really owe anybody anything. So everything they made was a profit. Mm-hmm. And they had a chunk of money. They had millions of dollars sitting there that they could utilize. And they were also getting a bailout on top of that, right? So they got the stimulus money from the government and they had money they were sitting on. So that's what you're looking for. You're looking at those companies that will survive this, um, not just companies that, you know, that, that, that uh, were their stocks bottom out, right? So we're not looking at the short term, we're looking at long-term gains. All right, so the next one, it says, um, uh, is it a good time to invest in REIT stocks? Uh, should you invest now due to the current climate and ride it out because real estate always climbs back? What do you think? So now REITs, REITs are, just in case for anybody that doesn't know, those are uh, real estate investment trusts. So those are those are stocks that are heavily, uh, companies that are heavily invested in real estate. I mean, these are the guys that own your malls, own your, um, own your retail stores, own the, uh, on the front, like uh, like the Burger Kings, the Gap stores, things like that. That's what these companies are, and they, of course, they make their money with the people, or with these companies paying them rent uh, on a regular basis. Now, what on the other side, th- the other side to REITs are they're also specialized REITs for like nursing homes, hospitals, things of that nature. So REITs overall are div- are very heavy dividend paying companies, which are awesome, awesome to own, and so some of them right now, some of the real good ones are actually at a very very good discounted price. So to short answer to that, I like REITs myself. I like them because they do pay great dividends and I do believe I'm getting them at a, at a better price now. And some of them like are in industries that we'll absolutely need such as nursing homes, things of that nature, that they're obviously not gonna go anywhere because we have an aging population and they'll need those services. So I would say do use, a, use your own uh, individual discernment, do your own research, find out what type of REIT that you're comfortable investing in and then go ahead and then go ahead and move on and move on that. Yeah, in, in so many ways, it's like um, being able to 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 invest in real estate without having to purchase real estate. So if you don't have the money to purchase, you know, multiple houses or an apartment unit, this is kind of a way to get your foot in the door to doing so. But the key, like Dre said, is is do your research, right? So for example, you you probably don't want to invest. <laughs> in, 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 a, in a REIT account that focuses on malls right now, right? So malls are struggling, they've been struggling and COVID might actually kill them, right? Because they're, they're, when you look at the, the stages of reopening, malls are actually the last stage for, that, uh, for, for, um, for reopening. Um, and even once they open, I mean, how many of you parents are gonna let your kids go back to the mall, right? So that's, you know, so, so you just definitely do a research, but also do your gut check. Your gut check says, you know, maybe I shouldn't invest in that. What, do I see myself going to this place in the next, you know, few months, a few years, right? So that's, that's key, All right? So the next one is, um, what do you know about, was it Suso? Suso? Susu. Uh, Susu, okay. And is it well, a, a, a partner? <laughs> ah, I see, I see. Okay, what is that, man? Explain that. So basically, that's, that's once again coming from my background. Uh, that's call it like call it the community bank. That's when like say ten of us decide to get together. Uh, we'll put in us we'll put in a regular amount of money on a regular basis. Call it weekly, and at every week somebody will get their hand or basically get the pot. Okay, so let's say we have uh, ten people. The the hand is a thousand dollars. Every time we get up to a thousand dollars, somebody gets the hand up until everybody in the circle has gotten that thousand dollars. Now, this is culturally, this is something I'm familiar with. Uh, 
it revolved, it, it to me always relied on trust. Like you trust in the person that's holding the bag because there's always that one person that's holding the money for everybody. Uh, I've heard great stories of people basically being able to start businesses that they wouldn't have been able to start because, you know, they can't save up the money by themselves, whatever have you. But then, you know, so it's kind of like uh, my culture versus what I'm taught. So I was like, well, if you really stay disciplined, you can kind of do it yourself. But, you know, because, you know, you, and then the other the other side to it is it's very random who gets the hand. So if you so if you're that last person that's going to get the hand, who's to say you couldn't save that money by yourself? Yeah. And, so, it, and it's also a trust thing. Right. So if 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 you're working with a group of people that you don't know that well, right, that you don't have a history with them, you're, you're trusting them to actually uh, contribute to that fund every time. Right. And, and what if they don't contribute when it's your turn? So you've been contributing and then it's your turn to actually pull some money out, but less people contributing. So that's an issue right there. Yeah, exactly. In, in essence, it's kind of. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. So, so culturally, I understand it. I understand where it came from. I understand the purpose of it. Uh, but just being the way I am now is not something I personally would do because of that uh, that trust factor. You know, you know especially when you're working with uh, people that you're not familiar with. Okay, okay. Well, we're running- Yeah, I was gonna jump in and say that we're almost 60 minutes into our our meeting. Uh, Let's answer a couple more uh, questions that came in before, and then I wanna actually jump into our live chat and answer some of the questions that's in there. Got you. Well, 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 Stosky, since you brought it up, why don't you ask us those questions? All right. So thank you for all that's in the chat right now asking your questions. We, we're getting a lot of them. Some of them we're going to be able to answer here. Then we're going to redo, we're going to repost this video and answer them right into the repost of the video. But um, so Imad and Dre, a couple of questions we keep getting in is um, one from Marcella. I have both a 401k and a 457 because I would like to retire at 55. I have I have my 2555. I admit I don't really know what I'm doing. What is the benefits of a 457 and a 401k? Great, that's your warehouse. Oh no, yeah. So I was going to say it's a it's a, it's the same monster by a different name. Uh, so like depending on uh, what company you work for, like say if you're in the medical field, you'll have something like a 403b or 457. It all depends on the job that you do. So all of these are basically tax deferred vehicles that you can utilize to actually add to your retirement plan. So you can use the 401k as one vehicle, you can use the 457 as another vehicle, both of them are going tax deferred. Uh, the 457 will actually allow you to access it a little earlier than the 401k because if I'm not mistaken, it's uh, 20 years worth of service or age 55, you'll actually get to go ahead and access the funds within that account, whereas the 401k is still at 59 and a half. Uh, what I would recommend would be one, take a look at your overall financial situation. And this is what I recommend for everybody if you have the time. Uh, you can actually go to um, ssa.gov or socialsecurityadministration.gov. Now you can go ahead and on, go on there and you'll fill out a profile, like just you or Facebook or Gmail, whatever the case may be. And they can actually tell you right now what you're, uh, reti- what you're, you're gonna be eligible for for social security, okay? And so based on what you're eligible for for social security, you can actually see what happens um, if you retire at 62 versus 65 versus 70. And the more you push it back, the more you'll get, obviously. Uh, and then you can actually factor that to how much you have to, you have saved up. And then that'll actually show you what your actual monthly budget will be. If you retire at 62, I'm gonna get this much amount from Social Security and I can live off of this much of my investments 
going forward. So a couple of a couple of steps involved in that, but the basis is at least knowing where you're coming from, getting that uh, SSA.gov number uh, done first, and then seeing how much you have saved up and continuing to go ahead and put that money away on a tax deferred basis. Also, between the 401k and the 457, you might want to see uh, in the fine details which one gets matched the better. And in some cases, it's going to be the 401k. Yeah. Now we have another question here. And since it's graduation time, and this is a unique time <laughs> for graduation, um, with a federal student loan, is it best to try to pay them off now or invest the extra money and let the student loans die with you? So, <laughs> I love it. I love it so much. I love it so much. I, I was so I would actually say student loans is one of actually one of the rare things that actually give you a marginal tax benefit. So you know you'll actually get to deduct the interest that you're paying on those on a year-to-year basis. Uh, so <sighs> it's a pain, but it's a pain that you could deal with. I think depending. I don't. I don't know what anybody's personal situation is. There are some people that like. That are sitting on two hundred thousand worth of loans because they went to law school or med school. More power to you, but um, I would say go ahead and put that on put that on an auto pay system. Pay whatever the minimum that uh, that they're requiring you for to pay. Factor that in as a part of your budget. And um, if you see yourself being able to pay it off within the next two to three years, knock it out. But if it's going to be something that you're going to have over a long period of time, put the auto pay on, let that pay on a monthly, and go ahead and put that other money towards building up your uh, emergency funds and maybe even using that money towards investment. Uh, Go ahead, Amon. I was going to see if you could speak to this. Also, the the key thing is to figure out um, if if, if there's an opportunity to refinance, right? Refinance to get a low interest rate on your student loan. Mm -hmm. So that, that, that's key, um, making sure that you look at what we call the um, the private student loans where you actually got a loan directly from a bank and the interest fee is a lot higher versus the Sally Mae type of loans where it's government assured, right? So, so you have to definitely identify which loan you have and which ones you can finance, right? Um, at the end of the day, the great thing, obviously there's no great thing about having a student loan, but it, it's, not, it's not considered like a, a credit card debt ratio, right? So you can actually have a high student loan um, on your record, but you've been making the minimum payment and it doesn't affect your credit that way, right? There are a lot of people that that, that can still buy a house, but they have a high um, student loan uh, in, in, their, in, their, um, in, their, in their credit, but, but it doesn't impact, it doesn't bring down their credit. As long as they're, they're making the, bear, the, the minimum payments, as long as they are paying off the credit cards and so forth. It's the credit cards that impact your credit more than anything else, right? So that's the that's the one thing you want to get rid of. Your credit cards first, that 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 loan payment, and as long as you're making the monthly payments on your student loan, um, you know you're moving in the right direction. But you definitely do eventually want to get rid of that student loan. All right, we're gonna take one more question from the community. Everything else we're gonna post online uh, from Tyrone Dixon. How much do you typically pay yourself? I can only talk about myself personally. Uh, so bi-weekly, uh, so bi- I get paid bi-weekly. So 250 I take to myself before anybody gets, before I pay a bill, before I do anything else, 250 is what I take into my, I, I take into my possession. And that's what I use for investment slash savings. Yeah. And so, uh, since I already, uh, go ahead. No, no, go ahead, go ahead. You finish uh, it. Uh, and since in my case, I actually, um, you know, I follow my own advice. I have my emergency fund set up. That's actually my investment budget for, uh, for the month. So, so I, I have 
multiple streams of income. You know, I mentioned that I do own equity in a few businesses. I do consulting. I'm a professor and so forth. So I have, I have a, actually, I have three checking accounts. One account I don't even touch. I don't even know what's in there. So every time, you know, I generate some money from consulting, it goes in that account. And the reason why I do this, because it's my private business, I know I'm going to be taxed on that at the end of the year. So I don't want to touch that. Right. Mm -hmm. um, so I leave that there. I don't know what it is. And then I have another account that that is just for for um, for my adjunct position, smaller contracts, and I put stuff in there. And that's kind of like my emergency fund. It's almost like savings in so many ways. And then I have my personal account, right? And and when it comes to what I pay myself, right? I don't pay my, so I'm actually going the opposite way of, of Dre. I actually make sure that everything is paid off, right? And then I, how I pay myself is how much money I can put in my savings or how much money I can put it towards my investment. Right. And then anything left over, then I give to myself, which which sometimes is not a lot, um, but everything is paid off. So I don't have to, you know, don't, don't think about it. Well, that's our time. Do you two want to end off with anything? Well, one thing I, I want to add is um, there's a book that I went ahead and I added onto the chat just so you guys can just really like, you know, start your investment journey. It's called Generational Wealth. I mean, and it talks about all subjects, financial everything from buying real estate investments themselves taxation uh it's broad strokes it's for the layman it's not for the expert it's uh i mean it's 198 pages very very easy read you can grab it off of amazon for 20 bucks great way to just really start your financial education um another another great book uh, i didn't i failed to mention this earlier uh was uh peter lynch's beating the street now the book the book was written in the 80s but it goes back to mod's point of investing in what you know uh, and just really buying the companies that you're familiar with and things like that. And they'll show you different techniques within that book uh, on, once again, looking at those debt ratios, looking at dividends and looking at good reasons as to why to buy certain companies. So I definitely recommend uh, those two books. And, and since we're talking about wealth development, wealth management, having a conversation about finances with your family is Rich Dad Poor Dad. I definitely recommend oh, yeah. that if you have not read it yet, it's very important uh, because it helps you change that mind state. All right. Um, now, like, like, like we mentioned in the beginning, like we're not trying to sell you anything, right? So, mm -hmm. if if you have questions later on, please feel free to post those questions in Facebook, and we'll do our best to respond to them. If you have ideas and topics that you want us to cover, we would do our best to also cover them. This is this is more of a community forum. When when Starsky created this forum, when he got us together. He wasn't trying to to develop, you know, those uh, those those business um, pages or those fan pages, right? This is more of a community page where we can learn from each other, we can grow from each other. Um, you know, I don't consider my myself an expert at everything, so we're going to be pulling experts from the group. Uh, we're going to be talking about real estate in the next uh, in the next live chat session, and then afterwards we identify another topic that will benefit you. That will benefit the community as a whole. All right, Starsky, do you have anything to say before we end? You know what? I, I feel like Russell Simmons at the end of Def Comedy Jam. Say it, uh, say it, say it. <laughs> thank you very much for coming. Thank, God thank you very much for coming out. God bless you. Have a great day. <laughs> All right, everybody. Thank you very much. Have All right. Hey, thanks have for taking the time, guys. I appreciate y'all.